You're listening to Star Wars The Saga Continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery and Tim Jirasi, are scouring the Holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed, so we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Always in motion is the future. This is just the beginning. You'll find I'm full of surprises. It's not over yet. No. There is another. Hello, Star Wars fans. You're listening to Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for everything devoted to Star Wars Episode Seven and the new trilogy and the spin-off films and all the new exciting developments or recently not-so-exciting developments in the Star Wars universe. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got my co-host, Tim, with me. How you doing, Tim? Hey, Kyle. Doing good. I like how you said that, sometimes not-so-exciting, because this was a week of both exciting and not-so-exciting news. So. That it was. Well and also on this episode, we have a guest host joining us for the first time, Mr. Jason Hunt from the Lampus Lair podcast. Welcome, Jason. Oh, thank you very much. I'm very, very happy to be here. Well, we are very happy to have you. And uh, for those of you listening, you'll get to hear a bit more of Jason than we originally planned, because we were thinking maybe this would be a slow news week and we'd take some time to look back on the season five of the Clone Wars. And uh, Jason's a good friend of mine, and we've watched a lot of Clone Wars together and talked a lot of Clone Wars, so I figured I'd have him join us for our Clone Wars discussion. But then in the past couple days, we've had some major pieces of news drop on us, so we got to cover those too. But uh, Jason, before we get started, you want to just introduce yourself a little bit for our listeners who maybe haven't heard your podcast before? Yeah, sure. Um, I am one of the co-hosts of the Wampus Lair podcast. I co-host that with my buddy Carla Claire. Um, and we were basically a Star Wars discussion and commentary podcast. Um, we, um, you know, we're not much on the news or anything, and we, we just try to have fun. And sometimes we do some very in-depth, uh, like, character analysis discussions. Um, I think our latest one was on Han Solo. But uh, we try to have a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we are nearing our 50-episode mark um, and should hit that uh, by the end of the month. So I'm very, very excited about that. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, you know, should I give my information on where people can find that now or wait till the end? Uh, we can do that at the end, I guess, when uh, Tim and I give our information, as we usually do. That's true. But, That's um, true. That way they can warm up to me and, you know, decide <laughs> if they like hearing me. Yeah, talk know if they so. want to actually listen to you more or not. <laughs> yeah, I've been on you guys' show a few times and had a lot of fun on there talking Star Wars, and we usually run through some top five or ten lists or whatever of characters yes. or soundtracks or something like that, and that's always oh, a good time. Uh, the latest episode that we had you on, we we discussed our top five acting performances in Star Wars, and that was yes. a lot of fun. Yes, so. that was a lot of fun, especially since it kind of just accidentally happened to coincide with the Oscars. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Happy accidents. Um. <laughs> yes, but anyways, uh, so as for our topics for this week, like I said, we had some big unexpected news drop on us since our last episode, and Tim and I kind of have this running joke where it seems like almost every time we record an episode and you know we're trying to recap all the news and get it out there as soon as we can for you guys, 
in the next day or two, there'll be a huge piece of news that comes out and we'll be like, oh, we just missed being able to report that on our last episode. And, you know, it's like they're conspiring against us to put stuff out right after we record. But, yeah. you know, so no different this another time. big story after this episode to break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll see what it is. But <laughs> as a lot of you have probably heard, we've actually got some bad news and some good news. And we'll start with the bad news first. Um, it was just was it just yesterday or the day before? I think it was the day before, right? Yeah, it was on the 3rd. Yeah, on Wednesday. Yeah, so this past Wednesday, April 3rd, uh, the announcement came out that Disney is shutting down LucasArts, the game developer company. Um, and they're not necessarily shutting down the entire company completely, but they are they laid off a lot of the staff. And basically, they're shifting the company from a game development studio that makes their own games to a company that just sort of licenses the Star Wars brand out to other different game developers. And, you know, a lot of people were kind of upset about it, and there's sort of just this general sentiment that people aren't real happy about what Disney's doing with Lucasfilm since they took it over. Um, You know, they shut down LucasArts, they canceled the Clone Wars, um, a couple games that LucasArts had in development, Star Wars 1313 and Star Wars First Assault, which was going to be like a multiplayer online shooter, uh, those are both sounding like they're going to be canceled. I mean, they said there's a chance that maybe some other developer could pick up what they started on and maybe finish it, but it doesn't sound like that's likely. So I don't know. What do you guys think about this? What was kind of your initial reaction when you heard the news? Yeah, for me, when I first heard it, it was this disappointment. At first, like, okay, and like another Lucasfilm like, or Lucas Company casualty now gone. Like you said, Clone Wars first, and then we had the... Star Wars uh, 3D release canceled, Detours canceled, and now LucasArts is gone. So I wasn't really shocked that this happened. It was kind of because we had all this disappointing news beforehand. It's not too surprising anymore. But um, really, I don't think it's going to be... I mean, I think it's terrible that this is a company that's been around for almost like 25 years or so, and now people are, are being laid off, which sucks. But I think in the long run, LucasArts, as far as making in-house development... Um, since The Force Unleashed, there really hasn't been too many great games to come out from the actual development studio. Of course, they were publishers for a lot of games. but um, So I don't think we're going to get too big of a loss with that, except for the fact that 1313 was looking awesome, and now it looks like we're not going to be able to play that. And especially coming off that, there have been rumors going around that the game was actually supposed to focus on Boba Fett, and he was going to be the main character, which then made it a little hard to take this news in. But... So, yeah, it's, it was disappointing, but I can't say that I was too shocked by it. And I think we should probably get some still great some Star Wars games later on from different developers and stuff like that. But it's just disappointing that 1313 looks like it's not going to be coming out and that, unfortunately, a company that's been around for so long is now just kind of really shrunken down is not going to be in the video game development business anymore. So, yeah, disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Jason, what do you think about it? Uh, this is one that I was not surprised when it happened. Um this, I kind of had a feeling that something like this might happen, um, you know, for a little while now, um, simply because uh, Lucasfilm or LucasArts, excuse me, um, doesn't seem to like be, you know, really churning out a lot of games, um, you know, at the rate that Disney might want to. And so Disney is, you know, restructuring everything in Lucasfilm so that it fits with their model better. And that's one that I, I'm not surprised to see, um, you know, sort of get hit. Um, 
you know, it's very disappointing because, you know, like you said, 1313 and the as yet not announced, uh, what was it, uh, First Strike or whatever? First Assault, yeah. First Assault, yeah. Um, you know, isn't going to make, probably not going to make it out to, you know, us. You know, 1313 especially is, you know, really disappointing to not be able to see. But um, other than that, um, I really don't think it's going to be too much of a, you know, a big you know, big shift in the way that we're going to get Star Wars games. Um, and if anything, we'll probably get more Star Wars games yeah. uh, once once Disney finishes, you know, assimilating, you know, what's left of LucasArts into, you know, their their mold. So um, while it is sad and disappointing, I think there is an up, there's a silver lining to this. Um, you know, the only question is, you know, does more equal better? So... Uh, when it comes to games so um that we'll just have to wait and see so yeah i'll uh, oh, go ahead Tim. i was just gonna say if because i was thinking the same thing we'll probably if anything get more star wars games i just hope they don't like keep giving them to these developers that maybe aren't that great and they just churn out star wars games after star wars games just to put it out there hopefully we can get some like good developers working on this stuff like it'd be great if bioware made another star wars rpg game or something or give it to like a good uh, first-person shooter studio like Epic or something, just so we can get some good quality Star Wars game. And it's just not making Star Wars games for the sake of it, just to get money. Right, mm-hmm. right. And and hopefully uh, we'll still be getting um, you know Star Wars games that that push the envelope and push technology and push you know risks and stuff like that. You know that Lucas Arts has taken over the years. So you know, and not you know settle into a, a safe zone. Quote you know, you know where they can be guaranteed to make money, but it's, you know, just sort of, eh. Yeah, but it's probably safe to say I think the first game we'll see will be the official Episode Seven tie-in game from a, whatever developer is going to do it. From probably. Publishing. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. But, I mean, I have to say I agree with both you guys that when I first heard this announcement, I just wasn't really surprised. I mean, I, it was weird. I kind of felt like I should be more angry or upset or something, but it was something that... I was like, yeah, I could see Disney doing that. And then as I thought about it more, I realized they almost kind of foreshadowed this back when they took over uh, Lucasfilm back last fall. I remember reading a statement talking about LucasArts and the video games. And they said at that time that they were going to kind of leave the studio alone for the time being and kind of let them do what they were doing and they were going to finish 1313. But then they said that moving forward, they kind of wanted to shift more towards um, developing stuff for like the internet and web games and social games and like iPhone games and stuff like that. And that, um, you know, some of the like big, you know, like the force unleashed and those type of games, like the big titles, like the big blockbuster games were going to be, they were going to let other studios handle those and just kind of license the property out. And so, you know, I remembered that and I was like, Oh, okay, well, yeah, now it's really not surprising that they've gone this route. And also, you know what, honestly, um, I mean, like you said, Tim, LucasArts hasn't really been putting out a lot of great stuff anyways. I think in the, the past few years, in my opinion, the best Star Wars game that's come out has been the Old Republic MMO. And that wasn't even developed by LucasArts. That was developed by BioWare, and LucasArts just published it along with EA, too. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people are still disappointed over the whole fiasco with, like, the Force on... Or, not the Force on Life, the Star Wars Battlefront 3. I know that's a game a lot of people have been asking for for years. It seems like 
anytime a piece of Star Wars gaming news comes out, you know, you read the article and scroll down to the bottom and there's a whole bunch of comments of people saying, when are they going to make Battlefront 3? I think that's still a really popular <laughs> game and something people would love to see. And it was in development back in like 2008 or 2009 or something. And that was around the same time that LucasArts started going through a lot of changes in management and in like direction that they wanted to go as a company. And um, they, I think, ended up sort of giving up on Battlefront 3 just for money reasons. And it was going to be a really expensive project and led to the studio that was developing it, which was um, Free Radical. It kind of led to them going out of business because LucasArts just kind of abandoned them on the project. And since then, they've just gone through different presidents and different staff, and they've had layoffs and, you know, changes in direction as a company. And so, um, you know, it, it is disappointing that Disney had to, you know, finally shut them down. But, I mean, the company was disappointing a lot of people even before that. And I think a lot of this sort of negative sentiment is, uh, it, you know, it's natural, but it's mostly, I think a lot of it's nostalgic, you know, a lot of us still remember the good old days back in like, I, I mean, from like 2000 to 2005, there was a period where they were just cranking out a ton of Star Wars games when, you know, that's when like the Battlefront games came out and Republic Commando and Knights of the Old Republic and, you know, Rogue Squadron and Empire at War and just all these different titles. And they had, you know, a ton of games coming out and a lot of them were good too. Um, and I think, you know, even before that, some of the classic like PC games they came out with like Monkey Island and X-Wing versus TIE Fighter and stuff like that. Um, you know, they have a long history of making a lot of good games. And so when people hear that a studio like that gets shut down, they think, oh man, it's a shame. And, you know, that was one of my favorite developers and stuff. And I'm not saying that this is a good thing or that I'm like, oh, good riddance or anything like that. But it's like, if you look at what they've done more recently, this is kind of, I mean, you, you can see Disney's logic behind it. And I don't think it's a huge loss for us fans as far as what they've done recently, because, you know, with the rate they're going, who knows if they would have even finished, you know, 1313 or anything like that. Um, although, you know, like you said, Tim, I think the biggest disappointment for me is that we're not going to probably get to play 1313 or First Assault. Um, I was looking forward to both of those games. And um, I think also kind of the disappointing thing is that now, even if they start licensing out the Star Wars license to other developers and letting them start making games, it'll probably be a while before we hear any of those, um, because I highly doubt that they've, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe they've already got some secret stuff that they're letting other people working on, letting other people work on, but you would think that like now that they've shifted to this model, now they have to license the property out to developers and let them kind of come up with ideas and start working on those games so it'll be quite a while before we see any you know screenshots or trailers or anything to get us excited for like new games yeah and yeah with but, that i was uh, kind of thinking too that for thirteen thirteen, why wouldn't they just want to like maybe shift that over to another developer license it out just to get the game finished maybe that could be like their first title that they release now that they own uh, lucasarts and lucasfilm just to have some game out there and I'm not sure how close it was to actually being finished, but I know it was at least in the middle of production. So it would have been cool if they would just kind of keep 1313 alive and maybe just give it to another developer to finish it. But mm -hmm. I mean, they kind of said that that's still a possibility, but I'm not really holding my breath for that, which is a shame. But I was thinking that's a little disappointing that they didn't decide to do that, but we'll yeah. see. Yeah, it would have been nice. But, you know, I think maybe a big obstacle for them shifting it to a different developer is that... Um, the, the games, 
just the way that they were making it sounded like it was pretty complex. Like it was a big collaboration between Lucas art or yeah, Lucas arts and ILM. And, you know, they were using some of like ILM's visual effects and motion capture technology and stuff like that. So, I mean, if they just handed it off to another studio, it might be something too complex for them to work with or, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure it's hard enough just like picking up a project that someone else has been working on for a long time and finishing it with, new tools and a new set of people that haven't been working on it from the beginning. So, um, I mean, who knows if we'll get to see it or not. It would be nice if we did, but kind of looking at it from their perspective, I can see why that would bring up some complications. But yeah, I mean, for me, that's the biggest sort of, uh, you know, short-term disappointment is that those games that they were working on aren't going to be released. But I think in the long term, it could work out to be a good thing. I mean, I can see a period maybe three or four years from now when we're getting a lot more Star Wars games. And like you guys were saying, if they, you know, give it out to a whole bunch of different developers and people are just cranking out Star Wars games, yeah, there's a chance that some of them are going to be crap that they just put out to make money off of Star Wars. But at the same time, if they're making a ton of Star Wars games, there's also a good chance that at least a couple of those are going to be really good. And, you know, then we as hardcore fans can just spend our time with those games and not have to worry about the, you know kitty like connect star wars 2 or whatever you know uh, but um yeah I actually, so i, I mean we'll, we'll see how it goes connect star wars uh, i actually played some of the connect star wars and the uh, the rancor levels are actually rather entertaining um the, the rancor rumble <laughs> i don't remember what they're called but you just you walk around like you're a big old rancor and you can like destroy things and eat people and throw mm-hmm. you know things across you know maz isley and or wherever you're at it it's that's rather entertaining, but you know, yeah, I didn't whole, make it, it that far. <laughs> I was like, uh, played the mid story mission, like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, see, I haven't played it. I still kind of want to try it just for the pod racing, just because I've been kind of craving a pod racing fix ever since episode one racer, which is so old that I can't run it on my new computer now. But wow, uh, <laughs> wow, yeah. nice, but nice. uh, yeah, I mean, that game was great, and who doesn't like pod racing? I hope we get another pod racing game at some point. I think they missed a chance to do a remake of Episode One Racer to promote the re-release of Episode One in 3D last year, but I digress. Um, yeah, you know, oh, so yeah, I mean, got we'll, my brain going. <laughs> I mean, we'll just have to wait and see as far as you know what kind of new games and how many games we start getting, because like I said, it'll probably be a while before we start getting those announcements. But uh, yeah, at the same time, though, uh, I think it was just yesterday, and then. Um, today this full interview came out that Dave Filoni did with Rebel Force Radio and I haven't gotten a chance to listen to the whole interview yet. You guys said you did, right? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, but uh, yesterday they released sort of like a little teaser preview of it on IGN.com that I read. Um, They just posted, you know, like a short excerpt from Dave Filoni but he was talking about sort of his work at Lucasfilm Animation and what the future might hold there and uh, when we talked about Lucasfilm, or when we talked about the Clone Wars being cancelled, we uh, mentioned that in that press release, they also said that they were planning to work on a future animated series, uh, kind of to take Clone Wars place, I guess. And in this interview, Dave Filoni pretty much confirms that he's going to be in charge of this new series, which uh, I think is good news for a lot of fans. I mean, as much as we'd like to see the Clone Wars continue, at least if that's going to be shut down and there's going to be a new series in its place, we know that it's going to be hopefully the same quality of Clone Wars, having Dave Filoni behind it, you know, a guy that we know... Uh, yeah, has a good relationship with the fans. He knows his stuff as far as Star Wars and the EU and the films. And, uh, you know, just a guy who I think has a lot of respect for the franchise and the fans and you know, knows how to make good Star Wars content. So I feel pretty good having him being behind another TV show. Uh, what do you guys think about that? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, we, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, but uh, no problem. I remember you. Uh, I sent the tweet out about this story. Then you replied, Kyle, saying, "This is the best bit of news we've had since the J.J. Abrams announcement." I 100% agree with that. I mean, this is pretty much a relief for me, really, because once we got the announcement that Clone Wars was ending, and that Lucasfilm Animation, the, the reports that some people have been laid off, I was kind of worried that is Disney going to let Dave Filoni go? He's done such a great job with the Clone Wars. He's done great. With things with Star Wars in general, he's great with the fans. He just knows Star Wars. Like we said a few times, he's like Lucas's heir apparent, it seems. And it would just be a shame for them to let him go. So the fact that he's still involved with this new animated series, even though we don't know what it's going to be about, I just think is great that he's going to be sticking around with Star Wars for a while. I kind of hope he'll be like uh, the way Bruce Tim was with all the DC animated shows. He was, <laughs> did great with Batman, Superman, Justice League, Batman Beyond. All those shows were great. So... Maybe Dave Filoni can have a bunch of new Star Wars animated series that he gets to oversee and have them all be great. So, yeah, I'm definitely relieved that he's going to be staying on. Oh, yeah, me too. This is this is fantastic news. I love, love the fact that he's staying on. You know, at this point, it's, you know, the new show is probably still in, well, what do we want to do a show about stage? So they're still trying to figure that out. So, but um, I love the fact that Lucasfilm Animation is going to have Dave Filoni at the head for the foreseeable future, um, especially, you know, with all the turmoil and upheaval that's been going on, you know, recently, this is such a good thing to happen and such a stabilizing relief to have um, out there uh, because it means that we're going to have someone who knows how Lucas film, Lucas animation, you know, how Star Wars works, you know, still going yep. to be involved. So, um now, you know, at this point, you know, now that he said, yeah, we're, we're you know, going to be working on the new series, you know, that pretty much puts the kibosh on any sort of, you know, hope, you know, spark of a hope that the Clone Wars would ever come back, um, you know, no more you know, save the Clone Wars, uh, you know, that, that pretty much puts the kibosh on that coming back. But it also means that we get to have Dave Filoni who knows what he's doing and makes great stuff still, you know, involved. Um, and, you know, he should become a permanent fixture at Lucas, uh, you know, Lucas animation in my opinion. So, yeah, we were talking about this before we uh, started recording this show. And I said something that, you know, if, if Dave Filoni just stays at Lucas arts and keeps making, star Wars animation for the rest of his career, that would be fine with me. He could just be the George Lucas of cartoons. And, um, yes, yes. Yeah. You know, uh, Tim, when you said that, you know, I replied to your tweet the other day and said that this was the best news we'd heard since the JJ Abrams announcement, I was kind of thinking along the lines, Jason, I like how you described it as, uh, or I don't even remember what you just said, but something about a, uh, like a, stabilizing relief or something like that yes, when we've had yeah. so much bad news recently or you know depending on if you want to see it as bad news or good news i mean a lot of this has definitely been sort of shaking things up i mean with the clone wars and with uh lucas arts being shut down you know whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing you can't deny that there's been a lot of negative reaction to it and a lot of skepticism and a lot of people sort of scratching their heads i guess and so yeah it's nice to finally just have something that's like okay, we've got some news about Disney and Lucasfilm and something that they're working on in the future, and it's something that we can all look at and say, okay, I think that's a good thing. 
And, um, you know, something that uh, I've read in an article about that, too, was, I mean, like you said, Jason, this does kind of officially close the door on the Clone Wars because now we know that the director of that show is moving on to work on something else. But at the same time, if the new series, especially if it's set in, like, in between episode six and seven, like I keep saying, I think that's where it's going to be set. If it's set in there, maybe Dave will get the chance to give a little bit of closure to some of the characters that he introduced in the Clone Wars that we're not going to get to see a finale to. Um, you know, maybe, like, e even if these characters don't appear, if he can maybe even make a reference to, you know, what happened to Cad Bane or Darth Maul or something like that. Or have, have Hondo Anaka still running around in his, you know, flying saucer. Oh, heck yeah. He'd be running that thing. <laughs> you know, he'd be, he'd be sitting there in his pilot's chair with a cane, but I could definitely see Hondo still being around then. Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, something else that I've speculated about is, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe they'll bring, bring Boba Fett back for the sequel trilogy since in the EU, everybody pretty much assumes that he survived the Sarlacc pit anyways. You know, if they make that an official part of the canon and bring him back for the new movies, it's like, well, we could have an episode about Boba Fett in this new animated series if it's between episode six and seven and they could do a flashback episode and we could get to see the uh, the episodes from what was going to be season six that they've talked about that never got finished that we're going to kind of give some closure to like Boba Fett and Cad Bane and Aura Singh and all those guys. You know, maybe they could do that as a flashback episode or at least have Boba Fett kind of telling that story to somebody else and... You know, Dave could maybe find some ways to work in a little bit more closure to the Clone Wars into this new series if he's, you know, running both of them. So that's true. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's definitely like you guys said, good, uh, some welcome good news uh, in definitely in light of all this sort of other stuff that we've had going on recently. But yeah, I'm super excited to see what he's going to be able to come up with. Um, like you said, Jason, they are still like in the planning stages. He said at this point he's just kind of going to meetings where they're talking about like what the show should be about and stuff like that. But I think he also mentioned that he already knows that he's going to have um, other people from the clone wars around him working on it. And I don't know if that means, you know, certain voice actors or yeah, it, it, like, it probably is a reference to crew. Maybe, right. Like, right. Yeah. Like I'm Joel thinking, Aaron and Killian Plunkett. And, exactly. You know, people yeah, that maybe, work uh, at Lucasfilm animation. So. Yeah. Or, uh, Carrie silver directing, or maybe, maybe yeah. some of the same writers, but like you said, it's probably, uh, like Lucas animation staff and crew people. But I mean, that's, that's nice too, because then we know that it's not just Dave Filoni in charge of it, but he's also going to have some of the same people around him that helped make Clone Wars such a great show. Because if you take a guy like Dave Filoni who really knows his stuff and, you know, is good working with animation and is good working with Star Wars and stuff, but then you bring in a whole new crew and, you know, maybe Disney wants to just start with a fresh slate or something and they give him this whole new crew, but they're not as cohesive or not as excited about Star Wars or something like that, then, you know, even just having Dave Filoni in charge, that's going to make it hard to get the whole crew together to make a really great Star Wars show. But if he's got people working with him that he already knows and trusts and has worked with in the past, I think that's even better news that that's going to help him make an even better show. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, this kind of makes a... Uh, nice segue into us talking about uh, this past season of Clone Wars. Um, you know, like I said, we thought this would maybe be a slow news week and we wanted to take some time to look back at the season five of the Clone Wars. Um, and you, you guys who listen to us know that Tim and I don't usually spend a whole lot of time talking about Clone Wars unless it's news about it getting canceled or something. But, you know, we don't review all the episodes or anything like that. But we did do an episode a while ago where we looked back at 
uh, the first the show's first hundred episodes when they released their hundredth episode this past winter, and I figured now that season five has come to a close, we could take some time to look back at that. And uh, of course, like I said, we've got Jason here with us to talk about that, and he and I have spent a long time talking about Clone Wars before. Oh yes. So um, I don't know. I guess before we start going through, we'll just kind of summarize like each of the episode story arcs. Um, but did you guys maybe have anything you wanted to say like before we start? Just sort of thoughts on season five in general, I guess. Um, I think I'll save those for like a wrap up, you know, sort of thought about the season as a whole. But uh, I'd say we just jump into it. Okay, yeah, you, sounds good to me. What about you, Tim? Yeah, let's just dive right in, like you said. Okay, yeah. Well, you know what? Um, Jason and I were lucky enough to be at Star Wars Celebration 6 in Orlando last summer and got to see the first episode of the season revival on the big screen. And I mean, Jason, how, how, how cool was that to be there? Um, you know, not only seeing Clone Wars on the big screen, which was awesome because we didn't just see the first episode, but we also got to watch, um, what was it, Bro- uh, Brothers and, and Revenge from the end of season four. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got to see those on the big screen as well. And I mean, it's always cool to see Clone Wars on the big screen. I got to go to the Night Sisters trilogy screening back a couple of years ago. And I mean, as awesome as this show looks watching it like on an HGTV or something, it really does have cinematic qualities that make it great on a big screen so that was fun to see even though you know we had our been like traveling and walking around the convention and everything and i was kind of tired and i will admit i almost fell asleep on brothers um not because i think it's a boring episode but just because i was really tired and i mean that is kind of a slow episode where you know i'll still watch it and pay attention to it but if i'm really tired it almost had me fall asleep there but um i managed to stay awake through the whole thing and then you know love revenge with darth maul coming back and everything and then uh, revival as the season opener. I mean, how great was that? Like, Jason, what were some of your impressions of watching that from the convention? Um, at the convention, I, my jaw was on the floor. I was just, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is awesome. We got Obi-Wan, we got Darth Maul, we got Savage Press, and they're all at Hondo's base. And he's, you know, mad that everyone's there. And he's, you know, you know, it's just, it was hysterically funny, you know, with Hondo, and then yet awesomely cool with everybody, with everything else, all at the same time. And it was a perfect perfect episode to kick off a brand new season you know well then of course you know everyone's like well where does it take place in the timeline and everything and it's like we'll take care of that later just enjoy the episode for right now but it was just it was so awesome to see you know to come back to you know season five to introduce season five that way i was i was thrilled so yeah yeah i was too and uh you know like you said now by the end of the season we know where it takes place in the timeline too so we don't have to worry about that as much Exactly. uh, Yeah, I mean, and it was so cool to be there watching it with, you know, thousands of other fans packed into this theater. And we got press passes to go because we were both involved with podcasts and got to be kind of like in the front couple of rows. And, you know, got an up close view of the screen and the stage where they were doing the Q&A with Dave Filoni. And I mean, there were a whole bunch of, you know, voice actors in attendance. You like look across the aisle from us and I'm looking at like Sam Witwer and James Arnold Taylor and Matt Lanter and Seth Ash- Green and all Ashley these, Eckstein. Ashley Eckstein and all these people sitting together and I'm like, man, this is cool. Um, and then of course, like you said, yeah, the episode was great. Um, you know, probably for me, the best mix of action and sort of dark, serious story and light hearted comic relief in the same episode. 
Um, I agree. It was a very, very well-balanced episode. So. Yeah, yeah, because usually, I mean, we tend to have, like, comic relief episodes where there's a lot of focus on Jar Jar or Battle Droids or something like that. And some of those can be funny, and sometimes they get old. Um, but either way, there doesn't tend to be a lot of serious story in those episodes, and if you really enjoy them, it's usually just because it's a light, fun episode. Um, and then the more dark, serious episodes, sometimes they'll be a little bit of comic relief from, like, some banter between Anakin and Obi-Wan, or maybe you'll have Hondo in there delivering, like, one or two funny lines or something. But, um, you know, you had Darth Maul and Savage Press in this episode, and, you know, they're killing people, they're starting on this plan to take over the criminal underworld, they're out for revenge against Obi-Wan, and we've got lightsaber fights and all this kind of stuff. And yet, throughout the whole episode, I mean, this is, like, Hondo's shining, defining moment, because probably as many good lines as he's had throughout the entire series previous to this he probably had as many in this one episode um you know spread out throughout the episode he just kept things funny the whole time and you know something really dark and serious would happen and then hondo would make a joke about it and have the whole audience laughing so i thought you know that was a really really great mix and like you said just great way to kick off the season it was an awesome episode yeah i mean for me i didn't get the chance to see it uh at the premiere like you guys did but I was eagerly awaiting to, for the premiere day because I've heard reports saying how awesome the episode was. I just couldn't wait to see it. And then when it finally did premiere, it lived up to all the buildup it got. I mean, it was an amazing season premiere. Probably one of probably one of my favorite premieres between that one and uh, Clone Cadets and Arc Troopers. I always go back and forth between those two. But yeah, just the main fight at the end was Obi-Wan and Savage Press and Darth Maul. I mean, that was amazing. That was the best fight sequence the series has had so far. Just the choreography on there, the animation just seeing Obi-Wan losing those two lightsabers, fighting Maul and Suppress at the same time. It was just a great battle. And then just the part of how it ended where Savage and Maul pretty much have Obi-Wan's back against the wall and he's just holding off their lightsaber attacks and he just kicks Savage's leg and just keeps kicking it because he knows that's his weak point. And then he takes the ultimate blow and just cuts off his arm. It was just, it was just awesome to see. I just wanted to just scream out and cheer for Obi-Wan. It was just such an awesome moment for him. And then just how the episode ended too where Darth Maul and Savage are fleeing away, and then they meet up with Hondo, <laughs> kind of thinking they're on the same side, but then Hondo kind of reveals to them that they're no longer in league together. They just start shooting at him, and they make their escape. And it was just great how it all ended, and even though you kind of got the feeling like, oh, I can't wait to see more of Darth Maul, where this story is going to go, it just made the wait and the anticipation for the next Darth Maul Death Arch arc that we knew we were going to get just that, that much more exciting to and anticipation for it, so... Yeah, it was a great premiere and just set the tone for the season, I thought, in a great way. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely, uh, you know, getting things off on a great start. And then from there, we went on to the Onderon arc where we had Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka go to Onderon to kind of train these rebels to fight against the Separatist, separatist occupation. And uh, really, it was just Anakin and Obi-Wan in the first episode, and then they kind of left Ahsoka there to run things for the rest of the story arc, and we got some more interaction there with uh with her and Lux Bonteri and uh just kind of seeing more of her maturity as she kind of took on a leadership role with these rebels but at the same time was kind of just mentoring them and uh kind of helping them but at the same time not really like taking charge of the whole thing she was kind of letting them fight their own battle at the same time and Anakin kept reminding her not to get too involved um and so I mean uh what do you guys think of that story arc for me it like wasn't my favorite one but it's it's pretty good um, it, it, it was a good one. Um, not not my favorite, not the most exciting, not the most dynamic arc 
um, of the season. Uh, but it was a good one. Uh, it, it sort of set the tone for how the season was going to go in regards to the uh, the four part story arcs. It was sort of like, hey, this is our new form of, st- of storytelling. So here's a here's a nice little friendly one to jump you in on. Um, you know, it, it was it was pretty good. Um, I, I kind of, you know. I kind of wish there was a little bit more, you know, Jedi and clone action, you know, fighting the separatists, but, um, you know, we, that was not the story. So, but, um, the, the final episode there was, um, was probably my favorite of that arc. Um, and I was really disappointed that they killed off Stila, but the way that they had everything set up, it was sort of inevitable, but, uh, uh, well, that, that's not the first character that we sort of get the inevitable demise of in one way or the other this season. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, and you know, I kind of had a feeling they were going to kill somebody off, and uh, I, I guess I didn't mind them killing off Stila too much. Except I just didn't like that scene because of the way that kind of just the way they set up the action with, I mean, kind of the whole thing started where the king just sort of runs out into the middle of this battle for no other reason than for see than for Stila to go save him and then end up in danger herself and she ends up dying and so I was like okay yeah that's kind of tragic but the events that kind of set it up in the first place didn't make sense to me from a story standpoint but was it was it you there was someone that I remember talking to who just like harped on that one fact for like it was really irritated with that one fact it was either you or or Mike it probably was me because yeah. I remember I was uh, I was a guest host with Mike on uh, Frontlines for this episode, and I remember saying the same thing on the episode, that, uh, yeah. like on that episode of Frontlines. And you know, if you and I talked about this episode, I probably said the same stuff. Yeah, yeah, that was. I just remember that and I was like, yeah, yeah, they could have done that a lot better. Um, they could have gotten the same situation, just set it up differently, and it would have, you know, probably been better. But whatever, it, it was a good, it was a good arc. Um, but nothing too memorable, you know, yeah. for me and at then, least. Uh, and uh, Tim, did you have any uh, thoughts you wanted to share on this one? Yeah, for me, I'd have to say this is probably my least favorite arc out of the whole season. I mean, I thought it started off good with the first episode. I think the first and last episodes were the best part of this arc. I love seeing uh, Anakin, Obi-Wan, Ahsoka, and Rex kind of train these rebels how to fight. I thought that was pretty cool. And then, like you guys said, the last battle sequence was really cool to see. But uh, just the middle episode, I just felt we're just a little slow to me. There were some action points into it, and we got to see kind of Ahsoka deal with her feelings towards Lux, but it just played out really slow for me anyway. I just kind of thought it didn't need to be four parts. probably would have been better as uh, just a three-part arc. And also a little disappointed, too, because before these episodes aired, they were kind of building it up, like see the birth of the rebellion and see how it starts. And we really didn't get too much of that at all, like planting seeds for the rebellion that we know will go against the Empire. And it wasn't really until I heard some interviews with Dave Filoni kind of explain how it does kind of tie into that, where he just kind of showing you how certain planets can have, like, people who are rebelling against their government. And maybe since there were Jedi who helped train them on this planet, Onderon, there might be other planets out there in the galaxy where they're able to train certain factions of people as a rebellion. They, When the Empire does come to power, they're able to kind of meet up and have some training and that's how they're able to fight against the Empire. So it kind of made sense when he explained it, but just seeing the arcs for themselves, they really didn't have too much to do with the whole setting up the rebellion and everything. So, yeah, I don't think it was a horrible arc, but not one of my favorites. Probably my least favorite for season five. I'd agree with that. And and as far as, you know, the big hype about it being, you know, the 
you know, the birth of the rebellion. I, I tend to not pay attention to the uh, the promotional, you know, spin and you know the preview stuff. And hey, this is what we're actually going to see, you know. And I'm like, oh, you know, maybe, but probably not, because you know. Yeah, because that was actually secrets revealed and bounty, you know, rise of the bounty hunters. Eh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was actually going to retcon some of the stuff we knew from the ending of the Force Unleashed and how that kind of set up the start of the rebellion. Because in that Star Wars book, I think it was like the Guide to the Expanded Universe or something like that. But just a book that kind of chronologicalizes like all the stuff that's gone on in the EU and in like the forward part of it, it kind of mentioned this, that this specific arc. You may see things in the upcoming season of the Clone Wars that may retcon or like kind of contradict things that are in the Force Unleashed game. So that kind of got me prepared for something big and drastic to tie in with the Rebellion. So when nothing really happened, it was like, okay, I don't think they really needed to point that out. So I don't know, just kind of, like you said, just kind of building it up more than it needed to, to when it was focusing on the Rebellion. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I, I guess, you know, Jason, you said you don't follow all the hype and stuff. I mean, I tend to kind of get into the previews and the interviews and stuff that they do, like, leading up to the episodes. But I didn't really get the same feeling that this was supposed to show, like, the birth of the Rebellion. Um, I kind of, you know, was okay with, I mean, Tim, what you were saying, like, with Dave Floney said, it's more you kind of see how this sort of sentiment spreads and you see that there are planets that basically just that the, the clones aren't the only military in the galaxy, that planets still have their own... You know, whether it's a military or a militia or, you know, some form of guards or whatever, it's like they have forces that they can use to to rise up and fight for themselves if necessary. They don't just have to have, you know, clones or stormtroopers or whatever fighting for them. So it was more sort of, um, you know, not directly showing any sort of beginning of the rebellion as we know it in the original trilogy, but just sort of laying the groundwork for that idea that uh, sort of the regular people can rise up and form their own army when the kind of when circumstances call for it and when they're pressed to. Yeah, it definitely makes sense that way. Once I heard it explained by Dave, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that works. But dude, I just the initial impression after I first saw it, like they're a little disappointed that they built it all this up for see the beginning of the rebellion and nothing really. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's all that promotional machine, and it's just like, eh, whatever. Yeah. Take that with a grain of salt. So yeah, and then uh, so moving on from there, we have the young Jedi story arc, which started with the gathering, and then we had a test of strength, and uh, oh shoot, what was that third episode? Bound for rescue. Bound for rescue. Yes. Yeah, thanks. And then. Um, uh, necessary bond was the last one another four-parter i think pretty yeah pretty much every every story arc in this season was four episodes um with the exception of revival which they bumped up to be the season premiere just because they wanted to sort of feed off of the darth maul hype from the end of last season but uh really it fits in with the other three darth maul episodes that happened later in the season so you could look at that all as one four-part story arc too um, and so in this arc, we had, you know, Ahsoka training a group of Jedi younglings, and they go to Ilum to get their lightsaber crystals, um, and then they go back on their ship and meet this droid, Hu Yang, who's like this ancient lightsaber builder droid, and he's got all these archives and records of all these Jedi and their lightsabers and stuff, and then they get attacked by Hondo's pirates, and in the last couple episodes, it's these, you know, kind of a trial for these younglings as they're... Um, well, actually, you know, Ahsoka gets captured, and so they try to go back and rescue her from Hondo's base, and then they end up teaming up with Hondo to fight General Grievous, who comes in in the last episode and uh, sort of, you know, tries to wipe out Hondo and his pirates and stuff, and the Jedi help fight him off. But uh, I don't know, what do you guys think about this story arc? This was a pretty cool one, right? I loved it. It was, 
Uh, it is one that I, I'm going to be going back and rewatching multiple times once the DVDs and Blu-rays come out. Um, simply because I love the idea of, of Jedi just in general and that, that, that this gave us such a great look into, you know, what it's like to become a Jedi and, you know, stuff. And then, but it also had great action with Hondo and then the, you know, Grievous and the battle droids. And it was just like, uh, you know, you get this little adventure with the younglings and then they're on the way home from this nice little adventure where everything was, you know, nothing was supposed to go wrong and everything was perfectly fine. And then they get into trouble they meet pirates, and then their guardian gets captured, and then they try and rescue him or her, and they get her out, but then the droids show up, and it's just like, you know, one thing on top of the other on top of the other, and then, you know, it was just, it was so great to watch, you know, as each episode progressed, and I think as far as uh, from, you know, one episode to the next, the next, the next, this was one of the most seamless arcs, you know, without... Um, uh, an episode that was too jarring and, you know, the fact maybe it was too fast or too slow um, uh, as maybe some of the other arcs were, but it was, it definitely uh, hit that warm and fuzzy Star Wars spot in my heart uh, with this, this, uh, this arc. So I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, This one just got announced like, kind of wondering what to expect from it because we heard that it had an early screening at celebration six and was this even really supposed to be part of the clone wars so when they announced that it was the next episode there it kind of took everyone by surprise like oh, i wonder how this is going to fit into everything but yeah i really like the stark as well i mean the first episode was great like you said jason just great seeing more insight into how the jedi have the trial of building their lightsabers and seeing how they get their crystals and seeing Yoda back was great to see, too, just kind of introducing them on Ilum and kind of explaining them, kind of harping back to a little more of the Empire Strikes Back Yoda that we all know and love, which was kind of cool to see. And then, like you said, Hugh Yang was a great new character. And I know some people were kind of wondering, why would the Jedi use a droid when they're kind of all about, like, the living force and everything? But I thought he worked great in it, and it just made... I would say it made perfect sense for the Jedi to use it because oh yeah, he's been around for, like, he said over a thousand years, I and mean, he was there when Yoda went on his training <laughs> to build his lightsaber. So to have a behalf, like all those archives of lightsabers is really cool to see. And then just actually seeing the younglings build their lightsaber and the progress that they were making throughout the arc was just really cool. I always wanted to see that. And we got a little hints of that in the micro series with uh, Barris and uh, Luminar, but I like how this one went more in depth to that. And then the side stuff with uh, Grievous and Obi-Wan in the third part I thought was great. If there is a probably one weakness to this whole arc. It was probably just that end section in the third episode of Necessary Bond where the younglings go to that uh, traveling carnival or circus and they put on that act. I thought it was great. I loved it. Um, but then, of course, I'm you know easily amused and <laughs> hugely entertained by by comedy and you know, you know shows and stuff like that. So you know that could be just me. Yeah, <laughs> I just yeah. felt it just felt weird seeing that type of thing in Star Wars to me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of with you there, Tim. That was that whole episode was uh, definitely probably my least favorite one out of the story arc. Um, and you know, I would say with this one. I'm kind of torn on it. I mean, I did really like it, but this is one that I felt like they maybe could have kept shorter just because, I mean, with get with doing all these four-episode arcs, 
Um, you kind of feel like there's not really a huge variety of stories going on in the season. And, I mean, I'm one of those people that loves to see, like, the clones and the Jedi and all the action and the deep stories and Darth Maul and Cad Bane and all that kind of stuff. And so when, you know, the first story arc was just Ahsoka training these rebels and then this story arc was like Ahsoka and the younglings for four episodes, I liked it a lot. But at the same time, by the end of it, I was like, okay, come on, let's move on to some other stuff. But, uh, I mean, I did really like the, like you guys were saying, seeing Yoda and sort of that Jedi training aspect of it and the little kids building their lightsabers. I mean, how cool was it to see, like, a 10-year-old Wookiee? Um, yeah. <laughs> loved that. Yes. And then in the second episode, um, in the introduction of Hu uh, Yang, the droid, I thought he was such a great character. I mean, like you said, Tim, at first it might seem kind of weird to think that the Jedi would you know, put a droid in charge of building their lightsabers, and it does sort of... Uh, maybe go against some stuff we've seen before. I mean, obviously, we've never heard of that before. But it's like if you can get used to the idea, yeah, I think it does kind of make sense because, well, who else to better, you know, keep all these records and blueprints and all that kind of stuff than a droid who doesn't die? I mean, if you've got a Jedi like Yoda who can live for 900 years, why waste him just sitting on a ship building weapons when he can, you know, be having all this knowledge and, you know, teaching other Jedi and stuff like that. So I think it makes sense to have a droid in that role. And I just love the character, um, you know, having David Tennant, who's uh, been on Doctor Who, that's where most, most people probably know him from, um, which I've, that's a show I've kind of just gotten into recently. And then seeing him play the droid on this show, I mean, I just loved what he did with the voice and sort of the personality of it. And uh, yeah, I thought he just played it really brilliantly. I mean, having a droid be in charge of building lightsabers and be a big part of the Jedi Order could turn out to be a bad thing if it was a boring droid. You know, if it was just sort of a plain, rusty old protocol droid that was like, uh -huh. oh, yes, I've been building lightsabers for a long time. And come here, children, I'll help you build yours. And, you know, I think that would have gotten old really quick. But, uh, you know, they managed to make Hu Yang a really interesting character. I mean, just by the way he talked, he's just sort of captivating as you watch him sort of like telling these stories about all these different battles and things that he's been in. So, I mean, for for me, he was probably the highlight of this whole story arc. Um, especially just in the beginning of a test of strength, just the first act of that episode where he's teaching the younglings, I think is just awesome. Yeah, and I thought and, the episode ended with a bang too, with a great Ahsoka versus Grievous fight. I mean, it well, kind that of shows was that. in uh, that was in the last episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that's overall the arc. Ended oh, with okay. I thought you were talking yeah. about just that specific episode. No, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to yeah. say like moving on to the. Uh, uh, Test, uh, no, what was it? Um, Bound for Rescue, where the younglings go to rescue Ahsoka. I mean, I was kind of on the same page with you there, Tim, where I wasn't kind of crazy about the whole traveling circus aspect of it. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's kind of fun. But that was probably kind of the point where I was feeling like, okay, can we move on to like some clones and Jedi and stuff? Um, but then coming back in the last episode, I thought that one was really good, where, you know, you get uh, Hondo... And, uh, you know, kind of a return to form for Hondo because it was a little weird to see him being all bloodthirsty in the earlier episodes where he's like, I'm going to kill these kids and sell their lightsaber crystals for a bunch of money. And it's like, we know Hondo can be cruel sometimes, but that seems a little far because we know he can also kind of be a nice guy sometimes. Um, and so then when we see him soften up a little bit and team up with these kids to fight Grievous together, um, it was, you know, kind of nice to see that and see Hondo like a little bit of his softer side. And then, of course, the really cool fight with Ahsoka versus Grievous. And of course, the return of Slave One, which was awesome to see oh, too. So, oh yeah, uh, it was. It was the. I think one of the most understated things about this arc was that we actually got 
a Grievous who was a threat again. You know, yes, we've, we've all made fun of Grievous, you know, in the previous seasons as being, you know, he shows up, he twirls his lightsabers and he runs away. Basically, he's, you know, very much the cowardly general. Um, but in these the two episodes um, in this arc that he showed up in, he was a threat. He was, you know, dangerous, you know. Uh, so that was nice to see. Um, just you know, bringing that aspect of Grievous back, um, you know, so, and unfortunately we don't have more episodes that we could see him do that in. So, right. <sighs> but whatever. He ended on a good note. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But that fight sequence, it did a great job of showing, like you said, that Grievous was a threat and how he didn't dominate over Ahsoka in the fight, but Ahsoka was able to hold her own and do some great like defensive maneuvers, but it kind of showed them both in a great light, how he was still a match to be reckoned with where he just wasn't his hands didn't get chopped off real quick by Ahsoka, but at the same time, it showed both characters are able to kind of show their strengths. Ahsoka able to hold her own against him at the same time. Grievous showing that he is the main threat that she had to run away from and probably couldn't win that fight. So it was just a great sequence all around. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know what? By the end of this arc, you know, we're almost like halfway through the season, and I was kind of feeling like, okay, I kind of feel like we're seeing too much of Ahsoka here, and they're just focusing on her, and I want to see more of Anakin and Obi Wan. But then, of course, you know, my feelings change later when we get to the uh, the season finale and you realize why they've kind of spent so much time this episode focusing on Ahsoka and her character development. But we'll get to that more in a little bit. Um, you know, of course, then moving on to the uh, the droid arc with the D-Squad and uh, Colonel Gascon. We had, you know, this little alien general who goes on a mission with R2-D2 and a squad of astromech droids and a pit droid, WAC-47. Um, and I think... Uh, which one of you guys was it that said that the Onderon arc was your least favorite arc of the season? Well, that was me. Okay, yeah. Um, because... I'm going to have to agree with Tim on that one, though. So. Uh, well, then not I'm going to have Not that it wasn't a good one, but it just was my least favorite. Well, I'm going to have to go against both of you guys and say that this D-Squad arc was definitely my least favorite of the season. Um, you know, in the first episode, we have them go on this mission to infiltrate a Separatist battle cruiser, and they retrieve this decryption module that can decode a separatist transmission and figure out where they're going to attack or something like that um then in the second episode which was easily my least favorite episode of the season um a sunny day in the void where or was it point of no return no no it was sunny day in the void Yeah. yeah where they you know they're flying their ship through a meteor shower which was kind of a cool sequence it was like something out of star tours but then they crash on this planet and basically spend the entire 22 minutes of the episode wandering in the desert. Um, and Wait, I thought this was Star Wars, not Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least in Lord of the Rings, they have sword fights while they're wandering through the desert. The, right, instead of, you know, bemoaning, you know, I should just die. Yeah, know? yeah. and then, Well, yeah, that was weird, too. There were, like, some depressing moments in that episode where Colonel Gascon wanted to kill himself, and I was like, not only is this boring, but now they're making it depressing, too. And what are they doing here? Um, and then from there, uh, the third episode was um, Missing in Action, where they find this amnesiac clone commander, Gregor, and uh, sort of help him remember who he is. And he helps them escape this Separatist-occupied city on the planet, which was the one highlight of the uh, of the this four-part story arc for me. I mean, I loved this episode. I thought Gregor was really cool. Uh, maybe just because I liked the Republic Commando games and it was cool to see a commando in here. But, uh, I mean, it was a nice bit of, um, you know, just having some more development for the clone characters, too. Um, and then the, in the last episode, uh, you know, they were trying to, like, save 
this Republic space station where all these important people are meeting from getting blown up by a separatist cruiser. Um, and I don't know, for me, that episode was a little bit better. Um, you know, probably the, the second best episode in the arc was, uh, the last one with, like I said, uh, missing in action being my favorite one. But overall, I thought this was definitely the weakest one and definitely one that didn't need to be four episodes. Um, I keep pointing to this one specifically when we talk about the season as a whole only being 20 episodes because they couldn't fit in, uh, those three for the Clovis arc. I'm like, well, you know what? You could have just left a sunny day of the void out of the season. I don't think anybody really would have missed it too much. And then it would only been 19 episodes and you could have squeezed in those Clovis arc, the Clovis arc and made it 22. But, uh, I don't know, nothing we can do about it now, but I don't know. I, I think you guys probably like this arc more than I did. Right. So what do you think about it? Yeah. Well, it, I, it, it's one of those things where I really, uh, enjoyed it because I love R2D2. He's my favorite character in star Wars. Period. But I do agree, A Sunny Day in the Void could have been cut. Um, if we decided to take uh, Missing in Action and meet, you know, if we still wanted to make it a four-part arc, we take Missing in Action, we meet Gregor after Crash landing on, you know, uh, the, the planet there, um, after the, the great little meteor sequence, uh, comet sequence, which I, I enjoyed the comet sequence a lot um, in the second episode. Yeah, that but was pretty we, cool, but they could have just we, squeezed that into the beginning of Missing in Action. Yeah, we, we could, you know, if we wanted to make it a four, still want to make it a four-part arc, we take, you know, that crash land on the planet, meet Gregor um, in the second episode, and then close out the second episode with him regaining his memory and finding his armor. And then we pick up from there in the third episode and have that, you know, maybe be an extended, you know, sort of a, you know, someone has come to oversee this last minute, you know, uh, you know, bit of, you know, preparation for uh, this, you know, secret, you know, mission to go blow up the, the space station or whatever. And then Gregor has to help the droids and Gascon, you know, stop that. Um, and then he still is able to, you know, go out in a blaze of glory like he did, you know, although he's technically probably still alive. Um, but now you know, who knows if we'll ever see him again. Right, right. But I, you know, and then, you know, have that episode end the same way and then still have the same ending with the final episode, which, by the way, final episode, that explosion when the Republic cruiser blew yep. up, most amazing thing I think I've ever seen um, on the show. Just, just visually speaking, it was just fantastic to watch that explosion. Um, yeah, that was pretty cool. But, but I love R two D two, and I think part of the reason why a sunny day in the void, um, and maybe to some extent, um, missing in action were a little less high on my, you know, list of favorite episodes in that arc, uh, was simply because Gascon took center stage, and R two was you know, sort of relegated to a secondary character. And I was like, come on, come on. This is supposed to be about R2-D2. R2-D2 is the character that carries this, not Gascon, you know, or Whack. You know, that was, you know, I think that was part of my issue with the arc, which I did thoroughly, not thoroughly enjoyed, but I enjoyed quite a bit um, overall. But I think if they had, you know, focused a bit more on R2-D2 and a little less on Gascon and a little less on Whack, I think it would have been um, a better and more enjoyable arc. So, but that's, you know, but simply because I love R2 so much, I do like this arc better than the Onderon arc. So, yeah, well, so, see, I agree with you there, though, that they hyped this up so much to be like, oh, R2's big, 
moment to shine this season. And then I felt like for the entire story arc, pretty much until maybe the climax of the last episode, they focused more on Whack and Gascon than they did on R2. And of course, you know, they were trying to throw comic relief in there and, you know, Whack and Gascon were having all this banter back and forth. But a lot of the times they were trying to be funny. It kind of fell flat and just got old. But uh, I don't know. Tim, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I think I'm one of the few who actually really enjoyed the, the arc as a whole. I mean, I kind of get I get what you guys are saying, how they did build it up for it to be R2's main arc. I mean, they changed the title to blue instead of yellow for all these four episodes. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, it probably could have been more front and center for the majority of these episodes. But overall, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I actually found uh, Gascon and Wax, some of their banter stuff to be pretty funny, actually. I know I'm <laughs> definitely one I, of the few. I did. I mean, I did, too. But I just wish R2 was more part of it you know mm-hmm. they're bantering back and forth and r2 runs through the middle of them and you know zaps them each and you know get them to pay attention or whatever you know something mm-hmm. like that you know get r2 involved with that get a three-way argument going uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah but, well and you know yeah i thought some of their banter and stuff was funny too but it was it was i just felt like it was hit and miss and a lot more miss there were a few moments where i thought it was like really laugh out loud funny but a lot more that kind of just had me slapping my head uh-huh yeah, I can see that, what you guys are saying, too, about uh, A Sunny Day in the Void, how maybe that probably, the majority of it could have been cut from and maybe expand the Gregor story, which I think, as probably most people think, was the best episode in this arc. I mean, seeing a Republic Commando was awesome. And we kind of got the feeling of disappointment when it was only just one episode where it kind of looked like he got killed, but Dave Filoni said he's probably not. But you kind of just wish you saw more of Gregor in this arc. And then, like you said, too, Jason, the final episode with that, explosion she's it was amazing to watch i think it's probably the best explosion out of anything star wars when the movies included too it is really impressive i and agree then, and then just seeing r2 afterwards i mean you said your r2 is your favorite character <laughs> how did you feel when you saw him just pretty much in pieces after that explosion sacrificing him, when himself? i saw him floating in space amongst the wreckage i my heart nearly broke i was like oh my <laughs> gosh no and then of course you know they they fix him up and buff him all back up and i was like yes he's back you know see that's the great thing about r2 is that he can't die because you can always put him back together so um oh yeah r2 has impenetrable plot armor um (laughs) and he has he has ever since the first movie because you know you see darth vader chasing luke you know down the death star trench and we've already seen vader you know fire a laser blast at rebel pilots and their entire ship goes up in flames and he fires r2 takes a direct hit to the dome and he's okay i mean (laughs) you know yeah he's damaged and they have to repair him afterwards but it's like that should have obliterated him so r2 can take pretty much anything and be okay r2 could survive a death star blast But no, but no. It, it, seeing him floating in space like that, uh, it was it was very distressing for me for a minute. So, um, yes, yeah, so was, we're, like, we're kind of saying how R two kind of wasn't the main focus in this arc, especially in the first two episodes. I I still think he did get his due in this final episode, though. The yeah, whole... yeah. I think by this final episode, they finally gave him the focus we all thought he was going to get for the whole story arc. Yeah, yeah. That's the most important time, too, which you would expect him to do. Once again, saves, like, the whole uh, Republic military and the Jedi generals. From all the big <laughs> shots are pretty much in that space station. So, right. Yeah, it was just great to see R2 save the day once again. And just 
like you said, even though you know he survives because he's, of course, in another movie, you just kind of got that feeling like, oh, no, like, I hope he's going to be okay after this. <laughs> I hope they repair him because it's just, right. like, really, like, really dire for him in that situation to see him floating there. So, yeah, overall, I really enjoyed this episode or this arc as a whole. I know I'm one of the few, but. <laughs> yeah, well, then, I mean, from there, we move on to my favorite story arc of the season and probably a lot of people's favorite, which was uh, the arc where we finally get to see the team up between Darth Maul and the Death Watch. And, uh, you know, it kind of picks up where Revival left off, where the, Darth, the Death Watch find Maul and Savage floating around in space in uh, the escape pod of their ship. And they bring them back to their camp, they fix them up, give Savage a robot arm, and give Maul a new pair of robot legs, and then, you know, they form an alliance and start this conquest to sort of take over the underworld. And in the first episode, we see them go and, you know, recruit the Huts and the Black Sun, and uh, then in the second episode, we finally see Death Watch return to Mandalore and kind of have their triumphant takeover um, which ends with Maul and Vizsla kind of having a power struggle where Maul ends up killing Vizsla and taking over the Death Watch for himself. And then in the final episode, The Lawless, we see um, you know Obi-Wan come to Mandalore to rescue Duchess Satine, who's been imprisoned by the Death Watch, and it's really you know Maul luring him into a trap, and Maul kills Satine, and um, then Bo-Katan and sort of these other Death Watch who didn't want to follow Maul, they team up with Obi-Wan to get him out of there, and in the meantime, Darth Sidious, who's kind of been waiting in the wings this whole time and sort of sensing this disturbing presence of Maul coming back, finally decides to do something about it. And he comes to Mandalore to face Maul and Savage in person and basically mops the floor with them um, in, you know, one of the coolest sequences in the whole show so far, I think. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this for me was definitely the highlight of the season. And uh, I don't know what you guys think about this one. Uh, well, it, this was this was just uh, a whole like fangasm. It was just like it, it had so much awesome <laughs> compacted into these episodes that it was just amazing. Um, I don't think I've ever said that word before. Sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, but no, it was it was so great to watch and to see, you know. And I know there's, you know, ever since season two when we first brought the Mandalorians in, and you know, it's a pacifist society, and everyone goes what, and you know, flips the table, um, you know, <laughs> over that, you know, and it's like. I saw that and I was like, well, wait, wait, this is not going to be the first or this is going to be the first, but not the last time we see the Mandalorian. So let's just, just wait. There's still that undercurrent that could, you know, switch the tide. And we finally got to see that happen in this. And then, of course, it was even more awesome to have Darth Maul and Savage Press be the ones to help, you know, cause that to happen. But it was the lawless, that final episode that really, really was the kicker for that arc. Um and as far as uh, the whole arc went, um, I don't remember the name of the episode, but the one where he goes, uh, Eminence, where he goes and starts rounding up his team, um, I think it was one where I think they tried to add too many teams in one episode because it seemed a little bit rushed, but not too rushed that it took away from the, the episode of the story too much. But I think that would be my only, my only critique is that they tried to add one too many groups to the team. Um, and we never even saw the huts in, you know, on Mandalore at the end anyways. So I don't know. But anyways. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I think we can assume that the huts were more for like financial backing. Probably. But, uh, and, you know, I kind of felt the same way, too, that that episode was maybe just a little bit overcrowded. But at the same time, you know, coming off the heels of the past 
after the last story arc, which I was just kind of waiting for it to be over, um, at this point, I was, you know, I was okay with them cramming in too much stuff rather than not enough stuff and it being too slow. Right, right. But the lawless that final episode was the piece de resistance for that <laughs> that whole arc, um, and it was so awesome. I mean. So tragic to see, you know, Obi-Wan's a teen's relationship, you know, culminate in that, you know, incredibly well done scene. Um, it was so moving and, you know, sad and so very, very well done in that scene. But then to cap that off with Darth Sidious showing up um, and kicking butt and taking names and lives. Um, <laughs> but. Just the fact, you know, having him walk off the shuttle, you know, barely lift his hands and, you know, the two Mandalorians there are dead. And then, you know, Darth Maul's like, I sense something, a presence since <gasps> master. And then his two guards at the front of the, you know, the throne room there just start, you know, climbing the walls, you know, by their necks, uh, you know, <laughs> before the door opens. Um, and, uh, you know, and then... The very, very end, that last, you know, interchange there between Darth Maul and Palpatine is w the biggest unresolved thing that I'm very disappointed that we will not get resolved with the Clone Wars being canceled now. And that is, you know, don't worry, I'm not going to kill you. I have other uses for you. And then ends with zap, you know, you know, more... <laughs> Sith lightning, you know, and it's like, what uses? What are you gonna do with them? It's like, what I need to know, and you know, that's the biggest, the biggest, you know, unresolved issue that this season gave us. That I'm disappointed that we won't see. You know, I know we're gonna talk about Ahsoka, you know, here in a minute, but that's something that you know could have very well been a very effective, very nice wrap up to her character in the series as a whole. Anyways. Um, you know, we don't need to see her in the Clone Wars. We can just see her later on. But as far as the Clone Wars as a series, this is an issue that I feel needed to get resolved, um, you know, very, you know, immediately almost, you know, not not necessarily immediately, but it needed to get resolved and because it was cool. It was awesome, but it leaves such a big thing with Darth Maul still being alive during the Clone Wars and we need to know what happens you know does he get to Revenge of the Sith or does he not you know that's a big big issue so I love the the the, the arc but that's the biggest issue that they're not going to be able to resolve that I'm really disappointed that we won't see so yeah I mean you guys said it all perfectly really I mean Calling this arc amazing almost as an understatement, really, because and also too, it had a lot of build up and hype. We were waiting so much for it, and, and for the most part, it delivered. It lived up to all the hype that got built for it. And I don't know if you guys were able to, but I was. There were spoilers that came out for it pretty well in advance, and I was able to stay away from them, which I'm not <laughs> normally known to do all the time. But for this one, I wanted to, and I'm really thankful that I did because this is the final episode of Lawless. What happened in there just really had an impact on you when you see it for the first time. And I think out of anything, too, this is probably one of the best or well-acted episodes out of the whole series. Not to say that any of the other episodes were, weren't acted well, but I just thought the performances just were on another level in this one, especially Sam Witwer. I mean, he is Darth Maul, in my opinion. This, his voice acting in this was just off the charts good. 
just the different ranges that he has and emotions that he has. You see him really in control and in power, then you see him really coward and cowardly and pleading for his life with Palpatine. So Sam Whitmer did a great job portraying that. And just in the sequence to that, you mentioned, Jason, as much as uh, Darth Maul, Sidious, and Savage Press fight was really cool to see, I think probably the best scene out of this whole arc was the moment where or well, Darth Maul kills Satine and Obi-Wan was there to watch. Like you said, it was just difficult to see and just seeing Obi-Wan being put in that position and just the restraint he was able to show. Just, I said it before too, this kind of shows why he's the greatest Jedi there is out there. I mean, if that was Anakin, there'd be a big fight with Darth Maul right then and there. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah, for sure. Yeah, just Obi-Wan, just, just the visual animations that they show, the expression that he had on his face when Darth Maul killed Satine, which is really good. The animators outdid themselves, the voice actors outdid themselves, the music even was great, and it just like everything was at the top of their game on this whole arc. So I know it's almost probably going to be hard to top this one, but as we'll talk about next, uh, the next arc did a pretty good job of coming close. But yeah, yeah, this one was definitely the highlight for season five for me. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like you guys said, so many great moments, like specific moments in this one. I think, you know, the top three for me, it's, you know, definitely two of the ones that you guys mentioned, the uh, the Maul and Savage versus Sidious fight, um, where that, I mean, that was just so great. It's, you know, seeing those three Sith go at it, you know, against each other. And, uh, you know, Sidious just with his mastery of the dark side and two lightsabers on display. Um, and then, of course, the, yeah, the scene where uh, Maul kills Satine. And, you know, everybody talks so much about how heartbreaking that scene is and how, it's uh, sort of such an emotional moment for Obi-Wan, which I, I mean, I think it is, it's, you know, a great character moment for him. And, you know, it's something sad to see him lose a character like Satine that we know he was so close to, but at the same time, I think maybe my favorite aspect of that moment uh, or yeah, of that scene is uh, not necessarily for Obi-Wan, but just seeing how evil Maul is because there's a moment right after, um, you know, Savage or Maul like impales Satine with the lightsaber kind of drops her to the floor. Obi-Wan runs over and he's like cradling her in his arms. And then Maul walks back up to the throne that he's been sitting on and just kind of sits down and has this satisfied, smug, like really happy grin on his face that just sends chills up my spine every time I watch the episode because it's like, wow, this guy is really evil. I mean, it's one thing to you know, murder someone in cold blood like that, but then to be that pleased with yourself about it, it's just like, it's, it's creepy. And yeah. I think from an animation standpoint, it's fantastically well done. I mean, I think that and Obi-Wan's facial expressions in that scene, I mean, because he doesn't say much and they've talked a lot in interviews and stuff about how they wanted it to be sort of more of a quiet emotional moment where Obi-Wan was more restrained so that they weren't trying to compete with his outburst in revenge of the Sith when he's telling Anakin, you know, you were the chosen one. Um, so yeah, I think in this scene with both Maul and Obi-Wan, they just did a fantastic job conveying so much emotion just through their facial expressions. And then the, the third moment in this, or not in this episode, but in this story arc that I just absolutely loved was the fight between Darth Maul and Pre Vizsla at the end of the episode Shades of Reason. Um, and I think that one gets overlooked a little bit because people talk about how great the lightsaber duel was between the three Sith. But seeing Darth Maul fighting a Mandalorian sort of at the height of his power and, you know, with all the different tricks and weaponry and gadgets and stuff that we've seen or heard about Mandalorians using, it's kind of, you know, they talk about it being um, sort of like a a nerd's dream come true where, like, you would play with your action figures as a kid and have, like, (laughs) Boba Fett fighting a Jedi. It's like we finally get to see that where, you know, it's like just 
uh, Vizsla going all out. You know, he's for one thing, he's using his dark lights, his uh, black lightsaber or dark saber or whatever. And I think that thing is just so cool to see. And then, but to see him holding his own against Maul, you know, in a sword fight, and then it's like every time Maul gets the upper hand, he'll use then Vizsla will go and use his jetpacks or. Uh, you know, explosive grenades or something, or like his blasters or his wrist blasters, or, you know, he even shoots like saw darts and a cable that he wraps Maul up with. And, uh, you know, it, it would be easy to kind of just assume that, oh, Maul's got the force and Vizsla doesn't, so Maul's going to win really easily. But Vizsla puts up a good fight. And, you know, of course, we all knew Maul had to win in the end, um, oh, yeah. which I was a little bit disappointed about because, I mean, not <laughs> that I wanted or expected Darth Maul to die, but I really liked the Death Watch and Vizsla too, and it was kind of uh, kind of sad to see him go. But I'm glad that he, you know, didn't go out like a punk, that he definitely sort of went out in a blaze of glory. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that that whole fight was just so fantastic and so well choreographed and just so cool to see that much variety in the fight going on. Um, but then yeah. at the same time, and when, when Maul finally kills him at the end, it's not like he kills him in the heat of battle. It's like he's defeated Vizsla, Vizsla's beaten down, and Maul takes his own weapon and basically ex- executes him. You know, he beheads him in front of all his men, and it's kind of... I mean, for me, it's kind of depressing just because I like the character so much to see him as, like, such a proud warrior sort of at that low point right before he gets killed. But, I mean, that was just such a really well-done sequence, too. Yeah. And well, I, but, that, but that's the way that a warrior goes out, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially in, in that type of a, of a um, situation, you know. You're, you're basically fighting for control of, you know, this faction, and, you know, you're, it's to the death, and, you know, you concede defeat and get executed, basically. That's yeah. what happens. Yeah, so, no, and I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that that was poorly done or anything. I'm just saying it was kind of sad to see. It's like I didn't yeah. want to have to see Vizsla sitting there, you know, beaten and defeated and watch him just defenselessly get his head cut off now do you guys think at all that Darth Maul was holding back in that fight because I kind of am under the impression that maybe not with his lightsaber skill abilities but with the force he might have been holding back because I think in order to win the respect of the other Death Watch members in order for them to follow him he'd probably have to show that he can take Vizsla out without relying on like force chokes or force pushes and all that so I think in a way he was holding back a bit I agree. I agree with that. Um, as far as physical prowess and lightsaber skill, no, not at all. He wasn't yeah. holding back there. But with the Force, yes, I, you know, I would say he was definitely holding back uh, for the most part um, with the Force um, mm-hmm. it, for reasons like you said, because otherwise he would not have the respect of the Death Watch, and you know, we wouldn't have had a guy go so gung ho over Darth Maul that he would, you know, paint his, you know, helmet and everything red and you know add horns to it, you know. <laughs> yeah. But um, it, for the next episode, but um. But yeah, no, I agree with that with that assessment there. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good assessment too. I mean, that's maybe not quite what I was thinking, but I think it definitely makes sense that Maul would maybe hold back on the Force powers either to sort of prove himself to the Death Watch, or I mean, is with him being a villain, it could maybe just be his own arrogance too. He might think like, oh, I can beat this guy just with my lightsaber. He doesn't even have the Force. I don't need to use it. But uh, you know, maybe he was just trying to challenge himself, or yeah, maybe he was trying to prove himself to the Death Watch as you know a good fighter and not just a good Force user. But either way, I mean, I think it's also just from a story perspective that makes for a more interesting fight. You know, when you're watching the episode, you don't want to see Maul just choke Vizsla and end the fight in ten seconds. 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, that was really cool. And I think for me, the only disappointing part of this, this story arc was that, I mean, I'm, I've been one of those supporters of Death Watch from the beginning when, like you said, Jason, when they introduced Mandalore and they were pacifists and some people were like, what is going on here? I was like, well, hold on a second. We've still got the Death Watch and they're sort of like the more traditional Mandalorian warriors. And I want to see if these guys like succeed in their goal to come back and take power and, you know, take over Mandalore and kind of restore the old warrior ways. And so it was cool to finally get to see them do that. But I was kind of hoping it would be more, more climactic, I guess, and have, have them kind of have to struggle for it a little bit more. But in Shades of Reason, they kind of lay out a plan to take over Mandalore and then they execute it perfectly and it happens. And it's like, oh, well, I've kind of been waiting to see this like big buildup to like Death Watch taking over Mandalore. And it kind of just happened in the first 10 minutes of the episode. But, you know, then of course they focused more on the struggle between Maul and Vizsla. So um, I guess it was a little bit, I don't want to say disappointing because I don't think it was a bad episode. I think it was, you know, still really, really well done. It's just, they didn't have the same vision for where they were going with it as I would have liked to see. Um, you know, it was kind of sad to see Vizsla get killed like so soon after he finally achieved his goal. I would have liked to maybe see him stay in control a little bit more, but you know, that's just not the way they decided to tell the story. But I mean, the, with the way that they were going with it, the way that they made those episodes, I think they pretty much executed perfectly as far as what they were trying to do with it. Yeah. yeah. I have one disappointing thing. This is nothing story-wise. It's just kind of more from a selfish fanboy <laughs> perspective. I was always wanted to see a battle between the Death Watch and the clones just from a visual standpoint because they have the two of the coolest armors, in my opinion, out of all of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So just to see them in a big old epic battle would have been cool to see. I was hoping in this arc, oh, maybe we'll finally get that. But Well, uh, and you know there. what? <laughs> maybe we would have gotten one further down the road because, I mean, the, the episode yeah. ends mm-hmm. where... Um, you know, aside from, uh, you know, Sidious zapping Maul and kind of leaving, leaving on that cliffhanger right before that, we see Bo-Katan kind of help Obi-Wan escape off the planet. And he says, he's going to come back with Republic reinforcements. And, uh, you know, it's going to basically be a Republic occupation of Mandalore, which is what Satine was trying to avoid the whole time. And, uh, Bo-Katan says basically that it's a necessary sacrifice because, then, you know, at least the Republic will come in and remove Maul from power. And if they, you know, sort of try to remove the sort of uh, warrior ways of the Mandalorians or whatever, she says they'll basically survive and rebuild, but we have to get Maul out of here. Um, And you can kind of assume that that's sort of the end of that storyline, and they're just going to leave you to fill in the gaps that, you know, the Republic came in and sort of cleaned up the mess. But at the same time... I would have wanted to see that storyline just because it's like, well, what happens when Obi-Wan comes back with a team of Jedi to fight Darth Maul and finds out that he's not there and Savage Opress is dead. They're going to be like, oh crap, who did this? You know, because it obviously wasn't the Jedi and, you know, maybe Savage and Maul had a fight between themselves and Maul killed Savage and then just disappeared. But, you know, I think that I would want to see the Jedi's reaction to that when they get to Mandalore and realize you know, wait, we came here to wipe out Darth Maul and he's not here. Somebody beat us to, you know, defeating him. And is this someone we need to worry about? So, yeah. I, th- I mean, that could have made for a cool future story, but I doubt we'll get to see it now. Yeah. I just right. hope some way in some, like either a comic, a book or something, we'll find out how that battle ended between the two Death Watch factions. Like, did Bo-Katan yeah. survive or who actually won that battle? What's the state of Mandalore now? Yeah. Hopefully well, because I also want to know, you know, what happens to all the guys that were following Maul once yeah. 
they realize, you know, Maul's not there anymore to be in charge. Are they going to all, you know, follow Bogatan because she's the strongest warrior now? Or, you know, what's going on there? So, who knows? Yeah. Yep. Who knows? I mean, we got Bogatan on one side, and then we got, you know, Prime Minister Almec on the other side, who's back, you know, he's like, which was a nice little tie in back to some of the earlier episodes. Um, but, uh, I'm yeah, surprised but... he survived this arc too. I thought eventually. Mom I know. <laughs> I was, yeah. Why is he still alive? <laughs> oh, oh, because he keeps kissing, you know, Maul's boots. That's why. Okay. Um, but no. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was kind of funny to see that. You know, of all the the people, he's one that survived. Yeah. Um, but you know, corruption never dies. Ha ha ha. So, corruption, corruption. There's too much corruption. Word of the day episode. Sorry. Uh, anyways, <laughs> yeah, but how, uh, how do we continue? Yeah. So then, of course, we ended out the season with the story arc with Ahsoka, where she gets framed for an attack on the Jedi Temple. She goes on the run, and you know, Anakin's trying to help her out and prove her innocence, and she goes into hiding down in the course on Underworld, and ends up teaming up with Ventress and then, you know, eventually gets caught by the clones and she's put on trial and Anakin is still trying to discover the truth and finds out that it's really Barriss Offee who set her up and Barriss is sort of gone, maybe not to the dark side, but gone rogue because she thinks that the Jedi are, you know, sort of becoming evil and just becoming tools in this war. Um, and, you know, of course, ends on the uh, the really big, sort of turning point of Ahsoka deciding to walk away from the Jedi Order, which of course at the time we thought that was all just the season finale, but looking back on it now, it's like it it's at least if the, if season five is, you know, the last season of Clone Wars we're going to get, I think this did a pretty good job of working as a uh, sort of makeshift series finale, if you will, because yeah. at least now we have, I mean, like you were talking about wanting to know what happens to Darth Maul. I mean, of course that's a huge hanging thread that we may or may not get to see wrapped up that but you know that we definitely want to know what happens to him but i think obviously the biggest uh sort of the biggest question throughout the whole series that people have had is well what happens to ahsoka because she's obviously not in episode three we've never heard anything before about anakin having a padawan and so as soon as they introduced her in the clone wars movie we were like well okay something's got to happen to her by the time of revenge of the sith and in this episode you know in this story arc and in the final episode we finally figure out what that is um, and we don't know the final fate of the character because she just walks away from the Jedi Order and says she's going to kind of go and find her own path. But as far as her place in the larger story and, you know, her role as Anakin's Padawan, which is sort of what ties her to the overall, you know, Star Wars saga, it's like that part of her story is over. So at least we sort of have that satisfying conclusion now. Yeah. Yeah, th- this was... Uh, I think this is going to be my favorite arc of this the this, this season. Um, you know, I keep going back and forth on a couple of these arcs. Uh, you know, it just depends on my, my you know, my mood, my frame of mind at the moment. But I, I think ultimately this one is probably my favorite arc of the season. Um, and it, it started a little slow, but I was like, okay. I was getting used to the fact that, you know, first episode of the arc is always the setup episode. And I was always, you know, telling people, just wait. It's just setting everything up. It's going to get better from here. But it was a pretty good setup, you know. Uh, nice little intrigue and, you know, uh, you know, detective, you know, story kind of thing going on. But, you know, and then it just sort of morphed into something much bigger than anybody ever anticipated, you know, sort of thing. Um, you know, very rapidly, you know, 
and it was very, very interesting, you know, to see this happen because, you know, ever since, like you were talking, Kyle, everyone's like, you know, well, what ha- what's going to happen to Ahsoka? Cause she's not in episode three. And I remember hearing, you know, almost from day one, when the movie came out, well, she has to die. She has to die. That's just it. You know, she's going to die, you know? And I'm like, no, even Lucas no. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I, I think I, I was one of the first people to, you know, aside from maybe Mike, who was just like, no, she's not going to die at the end of the series. You know, I, I, I never believed that she was going to die in the Clone Wars series. Um, you know, maybe maybe she'll die, you know, during, you know, uh, something taking place between episodes three and four. Who knows? But not in the Clone Wars. And this one of my, you know, I know Mike and I have talked about this, you know, it, it you know, different options that we, had, you know, theorized, you know, well, maybe she just leaves the order. Maybe she becomes a knight. Maybe, you know, someone takes her away from Anakin. Maybe she goes and teams up with, you know, Asajj Ventress. And like two of those things happened. Uh, you know, she teams up with Asajj Ventress and leaves the order, you know, at this, you know, in one storyline, which I thought was great. And the way that they, they pulled it all together and the way that um, they worked it all out was something that nobody expected, anticipated, or could have prepared for. Um, you know, that the Republic puts her on trial mistakenly, you know, on the urgings and insistence of Admiral Tarkin. Um, but, uh, you know, the Jedi kick her out. They put her on trial in front of the Senate, and, which was something that nobody, I think, saw happening you know we'd you know we'd gotten some political episodes earlier on in the series but this is one where it's almost like the politics are as intense as the action that we get in these episodes um because of the bullying basically by the republic military of the jedi into doing you know making the jedi do what they want uh with what tarkin wants and you know just the sort of uh you know Palpatine sitting back there folding his hands as he watches, you know, his plan, you know, the little things he's put into motion just fall together. And he's like, oh, yes, this is delightful. But, you know, it was just it was such a very interesting arc because not only did we get great character stuff for Ahsoka, but it has so many great implications on what that means for Anakin now that she's gone, which is one of the payoffs that I was hoping we'd get to see in season six. And maybe we'll see some of that in the bonus content, but I need to see a payoff of what this does to Anakin. But we also get a lot of the political maneuvering and machinations, you know, finally falling into place for what happens in Revenge of the Sith, which was extremely interesting and intense for me, at least. And I don't know if anyone else felt that way, but it was all of those great things. And then great action, you know, pulling in Asajj Ventress, having, you know, great lightsaber battles with, you know, Bear, disguised Barris, and then Anakin and Barris. That one was an amazing duel. I loved that duel. Um, and then just seeing the clones go after Ahsoka, all of those things came together so amazingly um, in this one arc that it was almost uh, it was an almost perfect arc um, for me, at least. So. Well, yeah, like I said before that with the whole Darth Maul Death Watch arc, it was going to be hard for another arc to top it, but I have to say this Ahsoka one came pretty close, for me anyway. I mean, you brought up those good points, Jason, how everything worked together so perfectly in this. Probably my favorite 
episode and sequence of this whole arc was the second one, the Jedi who knew too much, where Ahsoka is breaking out of the detention center and the clones or Anakin are chasing her. Just a really cool sequence. And also, too, how it's kind of probably for the first time in the series, kind of showing the clones were kind of weren't necessarily the bad guys in this one, but it kind of had that feel to it where you know Ahsoka's innocent and then these troopers are out after her. This kind of had that feeling where, oh, they're not just kind of more the stormtrooper realm than the clone troopers that we're all familiar with who are loyal to the Jedi and are the good guys. But it just had a more ominous feel to it where just things aren't right. And the whole sequence of them chasing her and the action that played out with them shooting those stun blasts at her and her dodging them with the lightsabers and blocking them was just really cool. And then just, again, the acting in this arc was great by Ashley Eckstein as Ahsoka, especially in the of course, the final sequence when she leaves the Jedi Temple in Anakin. But even before that, the whole sequence in the sewer where she makes that jump, it's the dialogue she has with Anakin there was really great. And it's just really great to see how the growth Ahsoka has shown as a character in this arc, just from way back in the movie. We've just seen her grow so much and it all cultivated into this amazing arc. And like you guys said, I think it does come to a satisfying conclusion for her character. I'm sure we don't know her ultimate fate, but... Like you guys said, it does pretty much answer the question, why isn't she in Revenge of the Sith anymore? I thought it gave a satisfying answer to that. And the only thing I just hope we get to see is that since she more than likely survives the events of uh, Revenge of the Sith, I hope in some way, shape, or form we get to see her confront Anakin as Darth Vader. I just, I'm dying to see her reaction when she <laughs> finds out her master has turned to the dark side and has become just pretty much the Jedi, the <laughs> person who wipes the Jedi out. I just want to see that confrontation so bad. So hopefully one day we'll get to see that. But yeah, it was definitely a satisfying way to end the season. And even though we're going to get the bonus content, it's the, pretty much the final episode to at least air on television, it looks like. So it was definitely a, a great way to end it because pretty much this whole series was about Ahsoka and her growth as a character. And it was like we were watching the Clone Wars through her eyes and seeing her grow through it. So it was fitting that it ended with her a story that focused on her and the way it ended with her leaving the Jedi Temple, I thought was a satisfying conclusion. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I wish the show would continue, but at least if it's ending now, I mean, I'm happy with this as a uh, as a series finale. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this as an entire story arc was probably just, the, just below the Darth Maul story arc for me, just because I think the Maul arc was, like, every episode was awesome. Um, and for me in this episode, I think the first and third episodes were pretty good. I mean, not, you know, I, I definitely wasn't like disappointed or anything. I thought they were definitely solid, just not quite on that same level of greatness. But then, yeah, the second episode and then the finale, of course, were really great. Um, you know, like you were saying, Tim, I love that sequence in uh, the second episode, The Jedi Who Knew Too Much, where... Ahsoka breaks out of prison and then is like on the run from the clones and just as she's you know running through sort of that work yard or whatever it is in Coruscant and the clones are chasing after her and Anakin orders these gunships to take off and it's nighttime and it's dark and you've got the lightsabers and the stun blasts like flashing in the darkness and then of course to make it even more dramatic it starts raining and yep. these gunships <laughs> and these gunships take off and sort of light up these bright floodlights and I mean just from a visual standpoint and then of course with the music and the action and everything going on it was one of the most thrilling and intense sequences for me that I've ever seen on the show and had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. Yep. Um, and then of course, you know, in the final episode, like you said, Jason, that lightsaber fight between Anakin and Barris was really great. And, uh, yeah. And I think you said too, Tim, just how, how good the voice acting was, um, across this whole 
uh, well, you know, this whole season too, but this story arc in particular, I thought they had some really strong performances and probably the highlights for me were at the end of the Jedi who knew too much where Anakin and the Soka are in the sewer and, you know, Anakin finally catches up to her and he's having the conversation with her, like trying to convince her to come back to the Jedi order. Um, or, you know, to come back before the council and try to prove her innocence. And she doesn't want to because she thinks that Anakin's the only one who's going to believe her. And she needs to, you know, not just talk to them, but to try to, you know, come back with some kind of evidence that she's going to go off and find by herself first. And then, of course, you know, everything in like the uh, the last sequence of the final episode where, um, you know, where she, she's talking about how she's leaving the Jedi Order and sort of explaining her decision to Anakin and he's trying to talk her out of it and all this kind of stuff. I mean, that's just a really, con- really great conversation between the two as well. Um, but I mean, just a couple thoughts. I mean, for one thing, Jason, you were talking about sort of the political climate of it. And I thought that was really great too, not just with the political stuff, but sort of just the way that these episodes showcased sort of the state of the Republic in general. I mean, we get to see so many yeah. different facets of it. We see the people protesting the war outside the Jedi temple, we see, you know, Tarkin and the officers and sort of how much power they have. We see the clones and, um, you know, even though we see the clones like out on the battlefield with the Jedi and sort of standing beside them, we see, uh, sort of see here, maybe in a little bit of foreshadowing to, to Order 66, that their ultimate loyalty isn't to the Jedi, but it's to the Republic military and to their yeah. commanding officers and to the Chancellor. You know, we see that when the clones like won't let Anakin into the prison to see Ahsoka because they say, like, no, on Tarkin's orders, nobody's allowed in to see her, even though you're a Jedi general. Right. Um, and, of course, I mean, just sort of some of those shots outside the Republic military base were so awesome. Um, just seeing, you know, all the ships and vehicles and, you know, big uh, battalions of troopers marching by and just sort of seeing that military assembly i guess that was cool and just sort of the way that some of the aesthetics in these episodes showed uh sort of how the republic is transforming into the empire too just sort of from a visual standpoint i mean inside the prison it looked like the same hallways as the death star detention block um and you know we also had uh i think more than once we had cues of the imperial march and i mean there were times where i almost felt like it was a little bit heavy-handed i'm like okay yeah i get that the republic's eventually going to become an empire but it's still a republic now so should we be seeing this much of it but at the same time it was just really cool to see you know all that foreshadowing and uh kind of those visual throwbacks to the original trilogy and what we know that the republic's eventually going to turn into um, and then, of course, you know, I loved seeing Anakin in this episode, too. I mean, he's I, I think Anakin's probably my favorite character in the whole show, just because I feel like Matt Lanter's done a really great job sort of breathing new life into a character that I know a lot of people criticized in the prequels. Um, but, you know, we hadn't really seen a whole lot of him this season. And even though this story arc was more focused on Ahsoka, I mean, Anakin played a huge role in it. And so I was uh, really glad to see more of his character as well. So, yeah, I mean, overall, this was a really great story arc. And like we said, a, a fitting, if, uh, you know, sad that it's necessary. But the fact that it's that this is what we got for a series finale, I think uh, I think we all probably would agree that this is a pretty good one to work with. Yeah, definitely. Even yeah. the way the episode ended with the music, too, how it had that nice quiet fade out and it didn't go into the ending theme of the credits. It just perfectly like ended how not only the story but even now the show really at least on uh, airing in television how it ended it just I don't know just had a nice wrapped up feeling to it as it ended yeah just all around production wise too but yeah. um, if I had one criticism of this arc it'd probably be that right when 
we saw Barris in the second episode and the Jedi who knew too much. I knew right away she was the one behind it. I don't know if you guys had that same yeah. feeling too. Yeah, yeah I, like, I did. You know, and well, when we first saw her, I didn't necessarily suspect that she was behind it. Except from a story standpoint, I thought, okay, Barris is the only one who could have done it that it would make made sense. Even though we hadn't really seen any evidence yet that it was her, it was like, well, who else could it be? You know, it could be just it could be just some random Jedi, but then that wouldn't really make for an interesting story because we'd be like, oh, well, we have no idea why that person was even there in the first place. Um, and so it's like, okay, of all these characters in the episode that we already know, um, and you know, one of them could be a traitor that would sort of be a big surprise to the story. Barris is really the only one that makes sense, so it wasn't really a surprise when we found out that it was her. Right. Yeah, but at the same time, I think when that reveal finally came in the final episode, they didn't really play it up like a huge twist. Um, you know, when, when Anakin goes to finally confront her about it, it's like he already knows it's her, we already know it's her. So it was more about seeing how he deals with it and then finding out uh, her motivations for it uh, than it was about, you know, really the, the who done it in the first place. Yeah, and even though it wasn't like a well kept secret that it was Barris, it still was a great story point that she was the one behind it, and knowing exactly. how close she was from Ahsoka too in the past episode. So yeah, it all worked out in the end, even though it, we all saw it coming. But yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, and then even when he brings her before the Senate or before the court or whatever, and her her sort of explanation that she gives, talking about how the Jedi are corrupt and you know, that they've become villains in this conflict and stuff like that. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there watching it thinking, wow, Palpatine is like licking his chops right now because this is like perfect ammunition for him to use. If anyone criticizes him for, you know, turning the clones against the Jedi, he, he can just be like, well, look straight from the horse's mouth, you know, the, the Jedi themselves, like one of them said that their order is corrupt and, you know, that they are not as great as they once were and stuff like that. So it's not just him trying to convince everybody else that they're evil. It's like other people in the galaxy, including some Jedi themselves, hold that sentiment. Yeah, and everything she said in that statement was true, too. Yeah, yeah. Like from, from a certain dark point side. of view. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so so the series definitely, or, well, the series and the, uh, the season, too, um, definitely ended on a high note with that story arc, so... Um, I don't know. Let's let's wrap it up here. And uh, you guys just want to share any more, uh, you know, just sort of general thoughts on the season as a whole. Yeah, for me, I thought. I mean, going into it, I had high expectations for the season, just from the trailers and clips we saw from Celebration Six that came out. I think for the most part, it lived up to it, except for maybe a few slow episodes in the beginning with the Onderon arc. Um, I thought the season played out really well and probably is one of the best ones it's probably not my favorite i think season four for me personally is still my favorite one all around because i pretty much love every episode in that but um it definitely ended with some of the best episodes of the whole series and then just as a whole with the final episode with ahsoka leaving the jedi order not only did it end the season well but for her story arc throughout the whole series it ended in a satisfying way so yeah definitely satisfied with season five yeah, I think I would have to agree that season four for me is probably still the best episode over, or the best season from start to finish. But uh, I, I think season five is maybe a little bit comparable to season three, where it kind of got off to a slow start, but then the the second half was really good. Although I'd still say it was better than season three because the beginning yeah. of season three we had some of those like boring political episodes, and uh, the beginning of season five I wouldn't really say there were any bad episodes except for like we said that one in the droid story arc the. Uh, point of no, or, no sunny day in the void 
But, um, I mean, there weren't as many, you know, really slow or sort of disappointing episodes or anything. It's just that the first half was sort of more, you know, solid, good episodes. And then we get to the back half and it's like, okay, this is the really cool stuff that we've been waiting to see all season. Right, right. This this is a, it was a really, really great season uh, for me overall. I really enjoyed it. I was disappointed that it was uh, a little bit shorter, but um, I love the season as a whole. Um, and just the, the fact that we got such great storytelling, particularly with the, those last two arcs and, and even the, um, the Jedi younglings arc for me anyways, um, just the fact that we got such great storytelling and great um, ways that they were telling stories. And, you know, it was one of those things where it was like, okay, I can't wait to see what they do next season. Uh, you know, especially with the fallout from these, you know, the final two arcs of the season, um, you know, how people start reacting and responding to those things. That that was what I was really interested in. But um, so it's disappointing for me because this was such a good season that I was looking forward to seeing how they were going to top the way that they were doing things and the, you know, you know, for next season. But, um, you know, I am satisfied with where it ended, not happy that it ended, but with the, the makeshift season or series finale, I, I'm okay with it now. Um, it was a great season finale, but there's just still um, – I wish we could see the fallout from from a lot of what happened in this season. Um, yeah. So. That's like something that's always going to be in the back of your head that just bugs you. Like we'll be able to – once like we get further on episode seven is coming out, the Clone Wars is all wrapped up. We get all the bonus content. And it'll, it'll be a great series to look back on, but there'll just be always something saying, yeah, but there's – we could have gotten this, and maybe this could have been wrapped up. It's always going to be that could have. That's yeah, always going right. to be in the back of your head now, right. which is unfortunate. But, but hey, the thing is, you know, you always want to leave them wanting more. So true, yeah. You know, <laughs> at least we're not going to the point where good, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I, I don't think I would ever get to. But um, you know, it, it was. While I'm still wanting more, I think there was still a lot more that we could have gotten without, you know, people going, you know, without people going, okay, when is this going to end, you know, sort of thing. Yeah, so, right. mm-hmm. yeah, I think we definitely could have gone at least another season or two and then maybe wrapped it up. But I mean, unfortunately, that, you know, that's the way things happen. But uh, yeah, I mean, like we said, it's it's a satisfying se- uh, series finale where we were able to wrap it up. So, um, yeah, I mean, but yeah, like we said, good, very good season overall, um, and uh, very good episode overall for us. We are way past our longest episode mark, which we actually just set that record on our last episode. I think we went for about an hour and 11 minutes, and we're over an hour and a half now. Um, you know, like I said, we were planning on just talking Clone Wars with Jason, and uh, I knew we'd get into some good in-depth, in-depth discussion on that anyways, but then, of course, we had some big news to talk about at the top of the show, too, so... Uh, but yeah, Jason, thanks a lot for coming on and joining us. It's uh, been great having you here to talk Clone Wars with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm I'm honored to be the first guest uh, on uh, The Saga Continues. Yes, well, so. hopefully The Saga shall continue with more great guests in the future. And, uh, you know, it's definitely fun to have, you know, another perspective and just another person to get in on the discussions. Um, 
so, uh, yeah, before we go, Jason, you want to uh, tell our listeners where they can uh, get in touch with you and listen to your podcast? Sure. Uh, the Wampus Lair podcast. Um, our main base of operations is on Facebook. It's our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Wampus Lair podcast. Uh, we also have a Twitter, which is linked up to our Facebook. So um, that's uh, at Wampus Lair. Uh, you can also email us at Wampus Lair podcast at gmail.com. And we can be found on the Star Wars Report dot com uh website along with uh, a couple of other great podcasts star wars report uh star wars beyond the films and the newest one to the star wars report family uh star wars bookworms so uh, a lot of great stuff happening over there but yes that's where you can get in touch with me and uh check out carl too he's pretty he's kind of awesome so uh, <laughs> yeah, carl's a pretty cool guy yes so yeah, okay. Well, again, it's been great having you on. Um, and you guys know that for Tim and myself, you can get a hold of us at Kyle at CloneWarsPodcast.com and Tim at CloneWarsPodcast.com. Feel free to email us with your comments about the show. Um, also, feel free to go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. We've had a couple of those so far, but it's always great to get more feedback. And, uh, you know, you can find our Facebook page at uh, Star Wars The Saga Continues on Facebook. We're also on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. And we'll be posting all the latest updates on there regarding Episode 7 and, uh, you know, LucasArts and games and whatever else might be going on. We'll keep you guys updated with all the latest news. So uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thanks again to Jason for coming on and co-hosting the show with us. And, uh, you know, until next time, keep an eye out for more news. Like I said, we'll keep you guys updated through our social media and stuff like that and then we'll be back with another episode when we've got something big to talk about um until then may the force be with you and we will see you guys later see you next time